Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Janika Benoit. Dr. Janika Benoit, better known as Dr. J on social media, is a board certified internal medicine physician and sports medicine specialist. She's also the founder of MedFit DO and a runner, exercise enthusiast, and former ACE certified personal trainer. Not only does Dr. J enjoy caring for athletes, but she also has a passion for preventing chronic disease through exercise so people can live holistically healthier lives, both mentally and physically. As an osteopathic physician, Dr. J is focused on treating the whole body so people can live more fully and have life transformation from the inside out. In the episode, Dr. J shares why exercise is absolutely critical for disease prevention, a helpful acronym for making movement a habit, why she chose to become a DO rather than an MD, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated, expensive conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel overall kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long term, I'm so glad you're hearing this right now because outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, drinking meal replacement shakes, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that are one-size-fits-all and only provide short-term results, I guide you through my holistic 3A approach so that you can develop effortless, evidence-based habits that work for your unique lifestyle, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. You can learn more about my group and one-on-one coaching programs at thehealthinvestment.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, let's hear from Dr. J. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. 
don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. J. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I would love if you could start by telling us a bit about your background. I'm really interested in, first of all, what led you to become a doctor, and then what also led you to become so interested in exercise for prevention? Yeah. So let me start off with a story. So I remember one specific day during my second year of residency, uh, I just had a really, really tough day and I could not wait to get home to my place of solace. And for the for me, that was my bed. So as I sat on my bed with the covers over my head, I was thinking to myself that I was a lot like my patients. Like my patients who were overwhelmed from taking so many pills, I was overwhelmed of having to constantly refill them and prescribe them. Just like them who sometimes didn't even know why they were on certain pills, I felt like I didn't know my why. What was my purpose of becoming a doctor in the first place if All I was doing was refilling and and prescribing pill medications. And just like them who sometimes did not feel that they were in control control, uh, of uh, uh, of their health, I felt like I was not in control in the trajectory of my career. And for me, it was like looking down a dark tunnel with no end. I knew that I wanted to do something more. I knew that I wanted to impact the health of my Uh, impact the health of my patients in a major way, but I just did not know how. And exercise has taught me the importance of developing a habit. Because during residency, I tried to maintain my exercise um, routine. And I told myself, oh, you know, maybe I may have to put exercise away because I'm so busy in residency. But I really did not want to believe that lie that I was telling myself. I made exercise a habit so I can still consistently do it even through my residency training. And from making exercise a habit, I've made other um, aspects of my life into habits and it helped me on my self-development journey. And that's something that I want to share with people that I come into contact with because exercise, that's the body component, but there's also a mind component that encompasses it all. Well, I say all this to say, um, my name is Dr. Janika Benoit, also known as Dr. J. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician and sports medicine specialist, and I help people um, with chronic disease use exercise as medicine so that they can develop um, physical fitness and mental fitness. So that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's always so interesting to hear. I have a lot of doctors on the show, and so many of them bring up this time of residency when it's you're learning how to help people become healthier, but then that time seems to really take a toll on every doctor because you're not really able, or maybe you are somewhat, but to follow the healthy habits because of just the grind that you're in and the lack of sleep. And like you said, barely having time for even just minimal exercise. It's just kind of crazy how that works of you go learn how to help people be healthy, but at the same time, you can't really be healthy yourself. Exactly. And that was (laughs) something that really conflicted me a lot. Um, You know, just, 
you know, teaching people how to be healthy, but then again, I haven't eaten lunch or I'm sleep deprived or I'm irritable um, because I'm having difficulty managing my mind of all the things that's going on. It really, really conflicted me. So I had to learn it for myself before Mm. I can help others do it. Um, And I didn't want to use residency as an excuse. Well, I'm too busy to do this and I'm too busy to do that. I just, you know, created small little time blocks where I can work on different aspects of my life, work on exercise and work on my mind. So, um, yeah, so that's that is what has led me to where I am today. You said critical words, small habit. I definitely want to get into a discussion of habits later on and just kind of how you approach those and implementing a new habit, because I think habit change can be hard, but it doesn't have to be as hard as a lot of people make it, Mm -hmm. especially if you're taking just these small, gradual steps week after week. I just posted on social media yesterday that if you make just one change every week. It may seem like nothing, but after a whole year, that's 52 changes, right? So it's kind of taking the long view and not feeling like we have to do these crazy overhaul your whole lifestyle exercise programs or fad diets or things that just completely throw you out of whack. It can just really start very small. So We'll definitely dive into that, but I wanted to hear from you first. I've had some people talk about exercise on the podcast, but I think I'm always curious to learn more and especially for myself and I know listeners as well, what physical benefits come from exercise when you're talking about it in terms of chronic illness, disease prevention? I mean, is it really kind of one of the magic pills, if you will? Yes, for sure. I mean, Exercise or physical activity, however you name it, um, there's strong evidence that supports that it can help um, prevent risk factors for cardiovascular disease, such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, diabetes, uh, stroke. Um, Also, uh, it can help improve cognitive function, so it helps improve things like depression or anxiety. So there's a lot of strong evidence that supports this. And through you know my journey um, into you know who I am becoming now, I, I I read this evidence and I'm like, well, if there's so much strong evidence that supports this, why why is it that in in clinic that we're prescribing and 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 um, having to constantly pr- uh, prescribe and refill these pill medications? How can we get to a point where we can j- f- focus on the disease prevention. Now, I understand sometimes there are um, patients that come in clinic and they're at a point where they need to be on medication. And I I understand that. Um, However, I really wanted to focus on the prevention aspect to prevent them from coming into the clinic when, I don't want to say it's too late, but where the damage has already been done, right? I really wanted to focus on the prevention because there, then there's also a subset of people that may have, you know, pre-diabetes or their cholesterol, you know, may be elevated, but not at the point to need medication or they know they need to move healthier and move more or eat healthier, but mentally they're, they're stuck. They, they haven't made the connection between the two. And I wanted to place myself in a position where I can help influence behavior change. Because even though the the evidence states 
um, that we must have cardiovascular in addition to strength training. And I would tell my patients that, but some, you know, some of them wouldn't do it anyway. And mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can understand that because people have a deep need to, to be autonomous, right? Mm-hmm. So it really, really what I need to do is take a step back and learning what type of physical activity do that, do they like to do? Because I love to run. Not everybody likes to run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not everyone likes to do that. So if I say, Hey, you know, maybe you should try running and, and, and they don't like running it, it, it that's not beneficial for them or me because I'm going to get resistance and you know, they're, you know, they're not going to even perform the, the, the physical activity. So, um, I've gotten more interested in learning about psychology and how that influences behavior change so that, um, patients and just people in general can, um, move more and, um, really, um, use physical activity in a way that resonates with them, not in a way that resonates with me, but with them. Yeah. That's such a such a great point. I always like to say the best exercise is the one you'll actually do. Right. <laughs> so true. So, you know, there's so many. I mean, obviously, you said a mixture of strength and cardio. There's the perfect, you know, I don't know, wrapped with a bow present of what we should all be doing every day. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, even just starting, you know, start in a place where you're doing something that you enjoy and then maybe that helps you go into a new area of exercise because you kind of get bored with that first one. But it's just that initial starting place. It should be something that you don't hate, at least. I don't know that I always love exercising, but Mm -hmm. find something that you at least don't absolutely hate that seems kind of intriguing, even if it's just stretching or you know, how do you feel about low impact exercise? Is that, can you get the same benefits? Yes. Especially for someone who is, um, more sedentary or does not incorporate a lot of physical activity in their everyday routine. Oh, for sure. Um, I would definitely, uh, encourage uh, someone to do low, uh, low impact, uh, exercise, you know, especially if, if, if they can, they can bear it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yes, especially for those who don't really uh, practice physical activity, I think it that's that's better than just start. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. We all have to start somewhere, right? Right. <laughs> when you said, uh, so you understand obviously that uh, medication is necessary at times, but then the prevention piece is really key to you. I'm wondering if you have any stories of patients who were on medication and then they started to exercise and they were able to even wean off the edu- the medication some. Is that something that you've seen happen? Oh, for sure. That happens a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. So even with uh, diabetes, uh, so to be considered to be, to have, I'm, I'm trying to get away um, from stating that someone is diabetic. <laughs> so that's why. Mm. That's, but so um, so even if a patient has diabetes, uh, and when they to to be considered um, uh, as someone who has diabetes, your A1C has to be six point five percent or higher, right? And 
sometimes, you know, patients come in and, you know, let's say uh, their A1C is 7%, right? And I'll check it again twice just to make sure that is true. And it is 7%. And this is really just dependent on the person, right? So if, you know, I develop a rapport with this patient and I know that that 7% really bothers them and they're going to make a change. It's either that they're going to eat healthier or they're going to start exercising. Um, Then I won't put them on medication. I'll say, hey, I'll give you three months and uh, I'll check your A1C again in three months and we'll see how your A1C does. And that has happened multiple times and their A1C drops to below 6.5. Um, Hmm. so yes, so that's why I, I really, I really, um, focus on the prevention aspect because there's so much, there's so much that could be done in that time, right? Because to catch that person when their A1C is 7%, there's a lot that, that you can do to drop that below uh, 6.5. Now, if someone comes in and their A1C is 9, 9.5 or you know 10.5, I mean, unfortunately at that point, I would have to put that um, patient on insulin, especially if um, you know they're not ready and willing to make the change yet. I will still mention you know physical activity, um, especially if that's something that they that they has they have not considered it before. Um, but yes, at that point, I would place them on medication. But even so, in those patients who I've placed on insulin and started um, physical activity routine, their A1C was able to come come down in the you know the eights. Uh, and mm. it's just with with those type of patients, it's just frequent monitoring of their A1C to see if they can um, have the A1C be sustained. Um, below 7%, really below 7% is the goal for diabetes treatment um, because we want the A1C to be at just a um, a higher value to avoid any episodes of low blood sugar. So the goal for diabetes treatment is below 7%. So um, with those patients, you know, I frequently check the A1C. I have them frequently check in just to see how they're doing. But yes, even with medication and physical activity, you're able to see the A1C come down. And I have seen it before. Is that able to happen just from a exercise intervention or a movement intervention? Or are those patients working on diet at the same time? Yeah, so they're also working on diet as well. Um most times I will also refer them to a nutritionist. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll usually be seen by a nutritionist or they'll be working on their diet on their own in addition to physical activity. So it's a holistic approach that I like to um, teach my patients. Yeah, I love that. How often does research suggest that we should be exercising to see the benefits you're speaking of, and especially in terms of disease prevention? Yeah. So um, in terms of the research, it recommends that adults should practice moderate intensity physical activity. um, And that should, uh, the frequency of that should be about 150 minutes per week and vigorous intensity physical activity about 75 minutes per week. 
and and that that can be broken down. So if it's 150, you could do like 30 minutes, um, five days a week to to reach your 150. And in addition to uh, strength training, at least two days out the week, and that's what and that's what the evidence suggests to really um, prevent chronic disease. However, sometimes that may be difficult for some people, right? To especially if they they are more sedentary and they haven't um, that they haven't really been practicing much physical activity. So what I suggest for people, I mean, most people walk, right? So um, I try to encourage my patients, hey, if you can at least start a walking program, and I tell them 30 for three, and that's 30 minutes, three days a week. Start there and then see how you do. And then each week you can either add five minutes, add 10 minutes, you know, depending on how you feel. Awesome. It's funny, you're talking so much about walking. I think we all know that walking can be hugely beneficial. Uh, I just joined a couple of Facebook groups. I'm always kind of exploring in Facebook of, you know, where people are and seeing what their concerns are and what they're saying, just to kind of inform my own nutrition coaching practice. Uh, But there's two groups that are really cool that I'll mention here in case somebody feels as if they're struggling to stay motivated to walk. Mm-hmm. There's one called walking for weight loss and there's one called walking for health. Mm-hmm. And both have, I think at this point, 50,000 plus people in them. And it's just very cool. I'm a member of both. And mm-hmm. just to see somebody say, oh, you know, I didn't feel like it today. I got home from work, but I still went out and did 10 minutes when it was dark or it was raining and I put on my raincoat and made it kind of fun. And they're all just sharing their own experiences with walking Mm -hmm. for maybe weight loss, maybe just overall health. Mm -hmm. And it's a really inspiring community. And I would just, if anybody's listening and kind of struggling to stay motivated to keep Mm -hmm. walking, I think social media can sometimes be a cool place to find a community of other people who have a similar goal as you. Oh, for sure. And it creates accountability as well. Yes, exactly. And sometimes people will say, just got added to this group. I've really been struggling. You know, thank you for all your stories and popping in here every once in a while, just so you hold me accountable. And it's cool. And, you know, if it's not a Facebook group, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a sibling, um, a child, you know, somebody who can kind of provide that accountability for you. Do you find that that is a critical component in terms of sticking with a habit is having some accountability? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so, it's so patient or client dependent. It really depends. It really depends. It depends like mentally where they are for some people for, I mean, I would say more often than not. um, Yeah. It helps a lot. Um, because I'll have, you know, some patients that come in, oh, yeah, well, you know, I go walking with my wife or I go walking with my family and they really make it. And I love to hear that um, to make it a, like a family activity. I think that is just so awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just it just really it just really depends where that person is mentally, um, where they are on, you know, just on the stages of readiness to make a change in their health in terms of physical activity, it really does depend. But I do notice that um, more often than not, um, patients will mention, you know, that this is an activity that they enjoy with their spouse or with their family as a whole. 
Mm-hmm. Is walking typically the first kind of go-to exercise you recommend because it's so approachable and accessible or are there others? Yeah. Yeah, Walking. Yeah, for sure. Even at, you know, the American, um, the, the, uh, the American, uh, uh, Medical Society of Sports Medicine, we had a conference in April and it's just like, you know, walking is, you know, the first go-to that we recommend patients, especially if physical activity is not really on their radar because some people, you know, they may think, okay, well, I can't go to a gym or it's just so far from their reality. And I can understand that, right? Um, it's, it's also me, uh, having self-compassion for that person because uh, this may be a new activity that they've never really considered because it's not something that they have on their everyday routine. So because walking is just so part of everyday life, (laughs) you know, there's a commonality, there's a familiarity associated with it. So um, when I mentioned walking, they're like, oh, well, I can walk. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I walk. (laughs) I've been doing that since I was 12 months old. Right, yeah. I'm like, can you give me 30 minutes, three days a week? Um, and you can even, you know, scale scale back a little bit if you if you want to, since this is so new, right? So I think, you know, it's important to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important to meet people where they are um, because, and I have I have to get out of my own way as well because uh, what's easy for me is not easy for another person, right? Mm-hmm. So because I exercise uh, consistently. And that's part of my every, uh, you know, my weekly routine. I can't expect someone to do that the same, especially if they have not even considered it before. So, right. I, yeah. Yeah. There's so many uh, one size fits all fixes out there, right. In terms of fitness and diet. And I think the more you're kind of in, in it and working with people, you realize that just isn't the case. There has to be so much nuance and individuality to it. Otherwise, it's not going to be sustainable for that person. And the only thing that actually works is something that's sustainable for you. So it's just about figuring out what that is. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. What do you uh, think in terms of, we'll go back to the habit conversation. So Mm -hmm. if you have a patient in your office and you're trying to help them make this a a lifestyle habit, not just a kind of one-off thing of, oh, I'll go walk after this appointment because Mm -hmm. Dr. J said I should. Mm -hmm. What are some of your tips for implementing a new habit and actually having it stick? Yeah. So the first thing, so I actually have an acronym um, for this, for habit. So the first, the first um, part of my habit acronym is H, which stands for healthy mindset. And because I've, I've realized that it really does no good for me to just to tell a patient just to exercise, right? Because, mm-hmm. like I said, people have a really deep need to practice their own autonomy. And so it's me just meeting them where they're, they're at and me becoming more curious about their situation and understanding what their, um, what their needs are. So that's me asking like, okay, well, if you want to have a more healthy lifestyle, what does that look like for you, right? What does that look like for you? Um, Do you have a why? What is your why to develop develop a healthier lifestyle? Um, What what beliefs are holding you back? Um, Because 
as humans, we all have limiting beliefs and a limiting belief is um, a belief that we assume to be true, but that is not true. And we all have that about ourselves. Um, so it's also understanding what those limiting beliefs, because something is standing away. Like I said, there's a also a psychological component to this. It's it's not just me telling someone to exercise. There, there's also a psychological component. And that's what I also try to emphasize on as well. So I think for me, that's the first part of it is understanding all of that. And uh, after I do understand that, then I can, um, the second part is affirmations of my habit method. Uh, and that's the A. And I think it's important to, now I know some people may think that affirmations are just woo-woo, like it, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even work, but the, What's important to realize is, well, number one, in order for an affirmation to work is that it does have to be a habit. So this is something that you have to recite consistently to yourself. And number two is that it has to be something that you actually believe. And these affirmations come from the work from the previous part of this of this acronym is, is the mindset part. Right. So you're 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 taking your limiting beliefs and you're um, you're just laying them all out on the table and you're turning your limiting beliefs into positive ones. So, for example, um, let's say one of your limiting beliefs um, is, well, I'm too heavy to exercise. Um, you can turn that into a positive affirmations and say, um, I can learn to exercise despite me being heavy, or um, I am not going to um, use my size as an excuse, or um, I'm beautiful in the way that I look, and I only want to beautify my look even more by making uh, uh, physical activity a lifestyle, something like that. Um, So that's how I you know, try to help patients and um, people that I talk to, to get through um, that part, because there are definitely mental blocks in the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so I really focus more on the on the mind part. And then once that part is, is, um, is sifted through, then I talk about, okay, well, um, all right, well, what are your what are your goals? Like, what would you like to do? Because like I said, I can't, I mean, I can't always tell you what I want you to do because I like to run. Some people don't like running, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and then I also provide suggestions and ideas. Can you walk? Can you go to a Zumba class? Okay, well, how many days a week would you do that for? And how long would you do that for? Um, 30 minutes, 20 minutes? Um, so things like that to get them from, no, I can't do this to, okay, yeah, I think I could do this. And it's just breaking mm-hmm. it down into small habits, but start with a grand vision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of how they see themselves, and also examining their living beliefs and breaking that down and creating affirming beliefs, and then to actually creating sustainable goals that last them throughout their lifetime. Mm. Is so is the acronym H A G? So it's H A B. So H is for healthy oh. mindset. Um, Got it. A is for affirming new beliefs. Um, okay. For believing greater. 
Oh, believing greater. Mm -hmm. I is incorporate change and T is transforming lives because um, that's my whole mission is to transform the lives of my patients and clients that I encounter. Because back when I was in residency, I felt like I wasn't really improving, (laughs) you know, but helping my patients. I really didn't. I felt like I was just just a cog in a wheel, like on the computer, just clicking and refilling and prescribing medications. And I was like, I want to do so much more. Like, I really want to create a whole shift. I want to change the way that we see chronic disease, how we treat chronic disease. I really want to focus on the prevention aspect of it so that people can live healthier lives. And I also want to focus on the psychological component because I know that um, aspect can also get in the way of why people don't adopt healthier lifestyles. And I really want to be able to help influence behavior change because I know that's a huge component of it as well. Um, it's, it really does no service by me just telling someone, Hey, do something, do this. Um, if I tell them, Hey, according to the guidelines, (laughs) they say to do 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity and look at me like, what? Yeah, right. Slow down, like. <laughs> so I really wanted to find a way that I can help influence behavior change and really transform the lives of my patients and clients. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I always say, typically people aren't struggling with weight or just to feel their best due to lack of information. Right. There's so much so information much. out there. <laughs> And so it's usually more kind of analysis paralysis and where do I start? And, you know, you hear this or you read a headline of 150 minutes a week and that seems overwhelming. So it's really taking that, like you said, getting clear on your mindset and your goals and then just breaking it into small manageable pieces so that it doesn't feel like something distant or that you're never going to be able to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, how do you even, because I know doctors have limitations in terms of time. So how do you have time in a meeting with a patient to go over all of these things? Is that something that you struggle with? Yeah. I mean, so I try to do, you know, what I can in a in a short visit. So mm-hmm. um, I may not be able to get to all this in one visit, but I like, so for example, if they have a desire to be healthy or to incorporate physical activity and, you know, sometimes I hear limiting beliefs, like I'm lazy and I'm like, mm-hmm. are you lazy? Um, and I ask uh, so insightful questions and I'm in, so it's just like, well, um, can you think of times where you, where, where you where you were not lazy? Because what tends to happen is humans, and including me, we tend to focus on the negative aspects of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we uh, it's it's more difficult to focus on the the positive aspects. So in that visit, I'm switching. <laughs> I'm switching from, um, I'm, I'm trying to help them switch from a negative state of mind to a positive state of mind, mm-hmm. and. So sometimes, you know, that that is that can be very impactful um, by just helping them realize that, hey, well, you know, there were instances in my life that I was not lazy. So why am I telling myself that that that's lazy? That's a limiting belief. That yeah. is a limiting belief, right? So um, sometimes it's just as easy as that. It's just like, oh, really? Can like, can you tell me times where you weren't lazy? And it's just like, oh, wait, okay. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. I never thought about that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So sometimes I, you know, sometimes that's just enough to 
you know, to end the visit and they inquire about it and ask themselves even more, you know, and then, you know, they'll come back again and, you know, we'll revisit another piece. So sometimes I can't do it all, but I am um, creating a coaching business um, right now where I am able to do a lot of <laughs> a lot of this. Uh, so that's where I currently am because I realize in the clinic um, it can be difficult to do this in a short time frame, and there's just so much you know that I want to do and don't have the time allotted for it. So. I'm in the um, process right now of becoming a certified um, health and wellness coach so that I can um, help my clients do this. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of other health professionals turning more to prevention in terms of diet and exercise? Oh, yeah. So I'm in a huge... So we spoke about community earlier with the walking groups, and I think... I mean, just for every aspect of your life, I think it's so important to join a community because you realize that you're not alone. And when you see others accomplish what you want to accomplish, that stretches your mind of what's possible, not only in exercise, but just in every facet of your life. So I have um, joined physician communities. Um, a lot of them are entrepreneurial, um, physician entrepreneurial communities, but a lot of them are focused on the the prevention aspect of health. Um, I have I know in my in the communities that I'm part of, you know, there's for example a physician who focuses on plant based eating. Uh, there's a physician who also focuses on just you know self care. Uh, there's a physician who focuses on um, uh, healthy meals for moms. So like moms making healthy meals for, you know, their children or their families. So it's, it's so wonderful to see all these physicians just thinking outside the box and seeing how we can impact healthcare in our own unique way. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm curious because I know you are a DO. Uh, can you describe for us what's the difference between a DO and an MD? Yeah, so the difference really is just the philosophy. So with DOs, um, it's I want to say more of a holistic approach. I mean, the first tenet of osteopathic philosophy is that the body is a unit, um, mind, body, and spirit, and that um, the second tenet, and this may be the second and third, um, that structure and function are reciprocally related. So the like the anatomy or the structure of a joint um, can influence the function and vice versa. And um, that the, uh, the third is that the body is capable of self-regulation or self-healing. And the fourth tenet is that treatment is based on the three aforementioned principles. So, mm-hmm. um, and I uh, believe, you know, that I, I've really, really practice the first one, especially with, you know, with using exercise and medicine and focusing on, you know, behavior change and mindset. Um, I really do believe that the body is a unit composed of mind, body, and spirit. And, uh, you know, exercise, to just focus on, you know, the exercise piece, that's the body, but there's a, there's a, there's a mental component, there's a spiritual component. So me asking people, okay, like, you know, what's your vision? Like, how do you see yourself creating a, um, 
you know, healthy physical activity routine, right? That's, you know, all that's, that's uh, the client tapping into or the patient tapping into like the spiritual side, because I'm mm. asking you to, you know, dream a little bit. Like, where do you see yourself? Put yourself in the future. Um, what is it that you, that you, that you want for yourself? Um, how do you want your body to feel? How do you want your mind to feel? Uh, how, how, how do you want to feel in general? So, and, you know, and, and that's also, uh, tapping into the, the mind as well, because, you know, I'm asking them to, uh, lay out all their limiting beliefs, all their limiting beliefs of themselves and asking them why, and what is your strong why? And to be healthier, that's, that's not a strong enough why for me. What is your why? Is it because you want to be an example for your children? Is it you want to develop these habits for yourself so you can teach your children? Um, is it because, you know, you had a, you know, a family member who, who, who died and did not take care of themselves and you don't want to see yourself the same way that has come up a lot. So, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to address those underlying whys because that is what is going to keep someone in momentum. That is going to help them make physical activity a habit. Yeah, such a good point. I know, uh, Sometimes I'll see people saying they want to find a doctor who has more of a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And so they'll go to a functional medicine doctor or sometimes they'll call themselves like alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is osteopathic medicine, how is being a DO different from, let's say, a functional medicine doctor? Yeah, so the functional medicine, so they, so functional medicine may focus on um, more um, like musculoskeletal um, activity and and actually in terms of the, uh, one of the tenets of the osteopathic philo- uh, um, philosophy where structure and function are reciprocally related, that I mean that's very related to um, osteopathy. But all in addition to osteopathy, um, there are multiple specialties that can come from just attaining a DO uh, degree. So you can be a family medicine doctor, you can be a cardiologist, you could be a rheumatologist. And um, depending, I mean, really depending on the person and depending how, um, I think depending on their beliefs, um, they may or may not incorporate those philosophies in their practice. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I see MDs who practice, you know, osteopathic tenants, but, um, you know, they're, they're MDs. So it, it really just, it just depends. I think it really, um, it, sometimes it, it really does just depend on, on the person, on the, on the physician. Um, because, you know, I do know a lot of ZOs who do practice a lot of the tenets of osteopathic philosophy, but I'm also starting to see more MDs starting to incorporate as as well. Um, mm. In addition, DOs practice uh, in medical school. Uh, we learn an additional course called uh, osteopathic manipulative therapy, and that really incorporates the tenet of osteopathic philosophy, where structure and function is reciprocally related. Um, because you know we are. Um, with our hands using manual therapy, we are, um, you know, examining the characteristics around a certain joint and we're learning how it influences the function, you know, of that joint. So um, 
I think that is the main, like another um, main um, major difference between MD and DOs is that we have that additional course. Now, not all DOs continue to practice um, OMT. I mean, including myself, unfortunately. However, uh, I do carry those uh, osteopathic tenants with me into my practice. Um, so that's how I, um, you know, still practice uh, osteopathy. Yeah. I had another doctor on who was an MD who has a similar philosophy of you in terms of lifestyle interventions and more of a holistic approach. So I think that's a really important point you make that the letters may not mean as much as the individual person. Right. And that that woman was speaking to kind of interviewing your doctor in a way. And if you're not happy with their approach to medication management or, you know, how they're kind of working with you, then try somebody else as well. It's not that you just have to go to one doctor and then that's your doctor and you, there's nothing you can do about it. There's always other people and, you know, who have different approaches uh, to things. So kind of the whole idea of get a second opinion or even a third opinion and mm-hmm. find, find the right fit for you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful for everything you shared today. I have a final guess or question I ask each of my guests, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Yeah, I think for me, making a health investment is learning how to become the best version of yourself, but also giving your grace at the same time. Because it is an investment, right? <laughs> it's an investment of time. Sometimes it can be an investment of money. And, um, you know, it can be challenging for some. And mm-hmm. But it, it is a beautiful journey um, to um, invest in your health. Um, but, you know, I also advise to also give yourself grace in the meantime and to practice self-compassion as well. Um because it can it can be a challenging, but the challenge is so worth the reward because you then arrive at a place where you're able to manage your thoughts, you're able to love your body, you're able to give yourself self-compassion, and mm-hmm. it's the best investment that you can make. Such a good point about the giving yourself grace along the way because yeah. it can be in this world we live in of two-day shipping and immediate results, it can be frustrating if you're not feeling great and you just want to see the instantaneous results and it takes time and it takes yeah. all these small changes we've been talking about. But if you just keep chipping away and you keep at it, you will eventually see that reward you speak of. For sure. Yeah. Well, where can listeners follow and find you? Yes. Yeah, so um, the best way to follow me so is um, on Instagram, my handle is medfitdo. That's M E D F I T D O. I also have a link tree in my bio. You could click that. That, and um, there's also my YouTube channel. I also have a, a webinar coming up this weekend on Saturday. Um, it's how to crush your uh, fitness goals in 2022. And um, the registration link is um, in that link tree as well. I also have a freebie. So a lot of stuff here. <laughs> um, a freebie. Um, it's uh, five tips to increase your motivation with type 2 diabetes and um, high blood pressure. So Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. 
And those are all in the link tree? That's all in the link tree. Everything's there. Great. And so if somebody doesn't know what we're talking about, if you go to MedFitDO, the Instagram bio, and you click through the link, the link tree is just all the little buttons you can click in there. But I will link them all up separately in the show notes as well. One question, will the webinar, will there be a replay? Because if this episode is airing in a few weeks, will people still be able to access that or maybe look forward to future webinars? For sure. If you register for the webinar, I will be sending out a a replay. So you register by... um, putting your email. Um, I will email, I will email out a uh, replay. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. J. I learned so much from you and I know my audience did as well. And I look forward to all of us connecting with you now off air. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the health investment podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.